This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends of Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of Manhattan, Kansas. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all of the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there with the holiday season uh, here in full swing. A great spot to go grab some beers with some friends and family while you're uh, in Manhattan. And uh, certainly a great place to watch the uh, upcoming Sugar Bowl uh, where K-State will take on Alabama. I know they'll have some great stuff going on at the brewery. On this episode of the Short Side Option, Dilo and I take a look back at Kansas State's Big 12 championship win over TCU and talk about some of our favorite parts of that hard-fought win over the Horned Frogs. We also revisit our brand rankings of the new Big 12. And it's also time to hand out some awards here on this episode of the Short Side Option, where we give out our end-of-season awards. We hand out the Shorties, our first annual edition, to an Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Unsung Hero, and the highly coveted All Shorty. All this and a lot more in this jam-packed episode of The Short Side Option. This is The Short Side Option. Nice to have you with us here on another edition of The Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon of Zulu. And it is the Big 12 Championship Edition here of the Short Side Option Podcast. And we're going to uh, look back at uh, K-State's 31-28 victory over the TCU Horn Frogs. And then also uh, do a little bit of talking about the year-end awards here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, and of course, uh, lots of other items to touch as well on. But uh, first, let's get started here. And I want to get Dilo into the action here. Dilo, Kansas State 31-28 over Texas Christian in overtime. The Ty Zintner walk-off field goal. Uh, you know, it, it took place, gosh, hard to believe, over two weeks ago now. And, uh, oh, shoot, almost three weeks ago now. And, um, you know, it, it was one of these games that I think K-State fans are going to look at for a long time. Uh, as one of the more exciting games, and it's also one of the more meaningful wins in uh, in recent program history. Yeah, it was a it was a huge game. I mean, talk. We can get into some of the more uh, well what this means from a program history perspective later on. But uh, as as for the game itself, it was incredible, um, extremely exciting. K State. Um, you know, who would have thought after that Tulane game when Adrian Martinez goes down? And if you would have told us back then that, hey, guess what? Here in a few weeks, Adrian Martinez is going to get hurt and Will Howard's going to take over this team. Um, we're thinking, boy, it's looking unlikely that we're, we're, we're going to make a bowl game. 
let alone uh, take home the Dr. Pepper. But that's that's what happened. And it's a huge credit to the whole team. It's a huge credit to Kleiman, um, Klein, coordinator, defensive coordinator Klanderman. Um, and what a uh, what an exciting game. No, absolutely. And, you know, let's go ahead and I mean, we don't need to necessarily break down uh, each and every possession here, but uh, no, let's let's of, go. Let's go play by play. Well, uh, I do have my notes here uh, from my rewatch because I did get a chance to finally rewatch it here just the other day. Yeah. And I've got three pages worth of notes, uh, front and back. So six total. Um, well, let's let's do talk about kind of those first couple drives here because Sure. K-State gets the ball. They stall out, punt. Yeah. And then what I really want to talk about is that opening possession for TCU because yeah. that that was a – you know, watching that all go down, um, I remember thinking, boy, if, if this is how TCU plays all day today, there's not a lot that K-State's going to be able to do here just because mm-hmm. um, TCU looked extremely, extremely sharp on that first possession. Um, I mean, they, they convert a fourth down, they convert a third and nine, but, um, I, I just remember thinking, man, they, on those conversion plays, they were just extremely sharp, particularly that, uh, pass over the middle to the tight end. Um, I, yeah, where was we, that had, the we had, and we had pretty good coverage on that one. Too. Yeah. It just was, you know, by the razor's edge, uh, it, you know, Duggan's able to find them there. What I what here, here's what I literally wrote. Great drive by TCU. Um, they had that big play down the side to uh, that that wide receiver where Echo Boydo uh, was able to uh, kind of get involved there, and he was the wide receiver really more dropped it. Uh, but yeah. what what the big note that I had here is K State D very aggressive with pressure would be the flavor of the day. And that, uh, when I think I saw on that first drive that K-State w- was not going to be content, uh, you know, setting back in coverage uh, throughout the day. They were going to be getting after Duggan, and they were going to beat him up all day long, and that's what they did. And, and a credit to Max Duggan, he played a well of a game and a losing effort. But, you know, you look at his passing yards, 18, or look at his passing, 18 of 36, 251, uh, for one touchdown. Now he was getting some good balls down the field, uh, and Quentin Johnson, you know, had had his fair share there. Uh, four catches for 139 yards for about 35 yards to catch is pretty darn good. That's uh, that's what they call efficiency in some yeah. of those advanced stats. Yeah, so they were they were able to find uh, you know some some success down down the field, and that, and that was throughout the game, uh, but. Uh, case it was going to make him earn it. Uh, and, and, and when I say make him earn it, making Max Duggan feel every one of those uh, those uh, dropbacks because more often than not, on especially some of those deep ball shots and and shots, uh, you know, down the field, uh, Max Duggan was getting was getting greeted by the Wildcat defense early and often. That's right, Stan. Um, but yeah, and and that's that was probably the right move, um, just because. Yeah. You you bring in some uh, more bodies around the line of scrimmage. It does a couple things. Number one, um, it gets pressure on Duggan, and, and Duggan is mobile enough. But those hits starting start to add up, and I think they certainly started to add up against Texas Christian. 
Um, but the other part of that is that it gets bodies around the line of scrimmage for the other part, the other side of this TCU coin, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. which is their their running game. I mean, this is a uh, very good rushing attack for the Horned Frogs uh, behind Kendra Miller and DiMercato. And I thought K-State did a pretty darn good job of keeping them at bay. I mean, I, I don't think it'd be fair to say that K-State completely shut down the TCU running game, but they certainly didn't let it run wild over them aside from, you know, some of the broken scrambles that Duggan had, particularly on their uh, final drive of regulation. But I thought that was a good strategy. You you just kind of, you're leaving some chances downfield in the passing game, but I thought Klanderman, it was probably the right call just to say, all right, Brent's echo, you guys better bring your working boots today because you're going to, yep. You're going to take a lot of deep shots on you, and they and they sure did. Um, in case they got bit on it a couple times, but on the whole, I think that is probably the better bet to have made for for Klanderman. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Julius Brandt had you know maybe a you, know, you look at what um, you know what he kind of gave up out there. He had a couple pass interference uh, flags, and then Quentin Johnson going for over 130 yards. Um, but here's what I want to say is that because of what uh, defensive coordinator Klanderman and the confidence that, that he has them and that, that uh, Chris Kleinman has them, they were willing to take those, uh, say, hey, you know what, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll live with Julius in coverage here because it allowed K-State to really uh, kind of keep the rest of the TCU running game uh, under wraps. Kendra Miller – 17 carries for 82 yards. That's a far cry from what he did in, uh, to us here in Fort Worth uh, back in October. Um, and then Max Duggan, of course, was running the ball pretty well. And that was mainly on, you know, maybe some scrambles where the blitz kind of bites us there. But, you know, this goes back to me uh, for Julius Sprint. You know, look at his ejection out of the Texas game. And you know, what kind of impact that had on the K-State yeah. defense. Now, did we really maybe know that at that time? No, I don't think we necessarily did, but... Oh, I think we did. I mean, I think that... I th- I think the Texas game was defined by, by Brent's absence. In, well, in I don't know if everyone necessarily made that connection or not, but I I think it, his, um, his importance, even if he's not necessarily shutting the guy down to, um, to uh, you know... 25 yards receiving, but just that you feel comfortable enough with having him go there yeah. uh, against uh, Quentin Johnson uh, allowed for some of that, uh, being able to be a little bit more um, solid against the run. Also, too, when it came to the K-State run defense uh, in, in round two against DCU, you had there. I mean, we were also much healthier, and uh, that was uh, certainly significant as well. Which is saying something, given that yeah, uh, exactly the the situation at safety. But you're, it's true. The the point's well made. Um, Daniel Green in the game. Um, you know Austin Moore uh, available, and, and the linebacking crew uh, was just a lot healthier. Uh, Brents pulls up in the TCU game at the first time too. But uh, your point's absolutely true that this was, um, albeit. Still a little undermanned, um, far more, uh, far deeper than what K State had there in the third quarter in Fort Worth. Yeah, 
Well, uh, let's in terms of some big plays here in this game, there were plenty of them. K State in in the first half, um, you know, in terms of just some things that just didn't go K State's way. Um, you know, I don't know if any if you want to complain about any. There might have been maybe one pass interference call that that Brent might have had on on Johnson where you could have said, "Oh, I've seen I've seen it called for," or "I've seen that not called uh, maybe for even a little bit less before in the past, first half." But you know, you mentioned uh, Cade Warner. He he had that tough break on that really nice catch that would have got K State um, that would have got K State a really good chance. Uh, position to go ahead uh, 21-10 going into halftime, I believe it was, because uh, that was just on the heels of the um, uh, of the big fumble uh, from from TCU on that Quentin Johnson uh, catch and run, which brings me to, I think, the turning point of the game, really, yeah, at least in terms of my eyes. K-State had kind of some of the momentum there, uh, and we, we go for it on fourth down. Deuce is, is stopped in short yardage. TCU gets the ball. They throw it to Quentin Johnson, who is making a night. He makes the catch and is going to have a 30-plus yard gain, likely. And during run after catch, it's Julius Brents that actually forces the fumble on him, and uh, that allows K State uh, to um, to recover and quickly regain some of that momentum that uh, seemingly got lost after getting stopped on fourth down. Yeah, and K-State's able to get to the half uh, with a three-point lead, although uh, TC gets the ball back, kicks a field goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, that the fumble was big just because, like you said, K-State works hard on that previous drive, ends up turning it over on downs, and then the first play out of the gate, um, we see Quentin Johnston streaking, and uh, – that kind of took the wind out of the the Texas Christian sales as we headed into halftime. Well, and then after halftime, another big play here where, you know, K-State uh, is unable to get at least a, to get the safety on what I, I, I'm still struggling to understand uh, how that is not a safety, uh, but it was ruled uh, a, an incomplete forward pass and K-State, uh, was uh, was the um, not the beneficiary there of two points, which would have you know of course given them a, a six point lead and the ball. Uh, in terms of what you thought on that call, Delu, I know it's kind of ancient history at this point. But anything you from your perspective, the, did the rest miss that one? Um, yeah, I I think they did. Uh, some wonk rules expert will tell me I'm wrong, and this is why. But I just you know. He's still holding on to the ball. He never really lets go of the ball until it gets knocked out of his hands backwards. Um, you know, they say it's a forward pass, but if the ball immediately goes backwards out of his hand, I don't know how mm-hmm. that's a, a forward pass necessarily. It, it wasn't like it was batted down or, or stuffed. No, it no the ball never out. left his hand. And right, so that's... It, I I struggle to understand um, that, but uh, you know that's officials, man. Yeah, well, at the end of the day, it didn't seem to matter too much because K State's able to 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 really uh, get something going. And one thing I wanted to mention, and I made this note too, is you know K State had some didn't on their first couple of drives didn't have much success running between the tackles. It wasn't seemingly that they had much success running between the tackles. Until they got something going outside on the perimeter, and we saw that with um, 
with jet sweep, sweep action from Malik Knowles um, earlier on the, in the game before he had left with an injury, uh, but also using Deuce Vaughn in some different ways and, and uh, moving him in and around uh, out of that motion. That, I thought, was a big part in getting the run game going between the tackles, was opening it up there on the outside with the jet sweep action. Uh, we get, uh, and this was a perfect way, I think, of doing it. I think on the first play, we uh, we attacked the perimeter with jet sweep action. We came back to it on a uh, on a play action pass where we hit Ben, sent it down uh, the seam there for a nice play. And then R.J. Garcia makes the uh, his first, or catches his first career touchdown and uh, K-State uh, increases their lead. Yeah, and that's just, that's just, I mean, professional work there from offensive coordinator Kleinman, or I'm sorry, offensive coordinator Klein. Um, you know, putting those wrinkles in there and going back to the well uh, throughout, but it's also a huge testament to uh, Malik Knowles and, and some of the other threats that K-State was using in the jet sweep game. Uh, Once Malik went down, I forget whether it was Brooks or Warner they were trying to use uh, as the jet there, at least on the app, like the play fix. Mm -hmm. But it, you know, when you have a big play like that early in the game, it it pays dividends because not only do you have, you know, the, the raw yardage from the jet, the initial jet sweep, but it also opens up things later in the game. So, um, and that's something that, you know, from the first play this season, K-State's really uh, yeah. gone yeah. back to the well uh, there throughout. That that's that's going to be a big part of this offense moving, uh, you know, throughout the season. And I would expect it to remain a staple for K-State, um, you know, and, and maybe even more so once Deuce is gone and we don't have, you know, quite the threat on the edge. Uh, the deuce provides and we have more of a between the tackles runner, whoever that'll be. Um, but I, I would expect to see the, the jet, uh, the jet utilized and, and continued to be used by uh, Klein and K-State moving forward. And it, it certainly worked and worked throughout the game against TCU. It, it sure did. And, you know, K-State's got a 21, 10 lead here at this point. And then, you know, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a brouhaha, uh, taking place there after the play uh, on the uh, from the Texas Christian side of things allows K State to kick off from the fifty, and uh, you know we we don't really necessarily get much uh, benefit out of that as as that squib kick uh, kind of gets caught up sh- short there and uh, they get the ball to thirty there, but this K State defense forces a quick three and out and at this point Felix Anduke Zama gets his first sack of the day. Uh, forcing a punt from TCU, and at this point, it's looking like case they might be able to, with another score, might be able to really get this game uh, out of reach for TCU here, as, as the Frogs have really seemed to yeah. hit the skids here on offense. And you know, you big- get to that in the second half. I always call it the, the knockout chance when when you have a chance, you you your offense has the ball uh, with a chance to go up three scores. Uh, in the second half. And if you could do that in my brain, it's like, okay, this, this is, we can almost in the game right here. Um, and that three and out for the K-State defense was huge. Um, and the ensuing play, which I imagine you're about to get to uh, was devastating because not only do we not have the knockout blow knockout chance anymore, but here we are uh, 
staring down the barrel of this being a four-point game. Exactly. Exactly right. Uh, Philip Brooks muffs the punt. And uh, Texas Christian doesn't waste too much time in, in scoring after uh, getting the ball uh, in, in very good field position, three plays, 30 yards. And Kendra Miller gets in for a touchdown. Uh, what could have been possibly a 28-10 game, or if at nothing else, a 21-10 game, and you're still punting the ball back to TCU with with uh, a long way to go for them, uh, is now a four-point game, and that momentum has definitely switched sidelines, which is what we definitely saw, you know, and uh, really with what K-State had to do. At that point, it, it felt like this game went, you know, comfortably uh, in, in Kansas State's control to really up for grabs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, after that string of plays there, you're thinking, oh, here we go. Um, and I have to imagine that that some of those thoughts may have been creeping, um, you know, throughout Jerry World. Um, oh, they were. But, they were. <laughs> I, I, can, I can promise you that. And it, it was just devastating because, like I said, we were – it felt like we were this close to – blowing the game out and then all of a sudden it feels like this TCU team of destiny crap that we'd heard about for all season is we're just going to be another victim of, of one of these odd second half comebacks where some weird play, some weird injury uh, just totally shifts momentum and gives TCU the chance to, to make a game of it and ultimately win. Yeah, so let's go ahead and, and fast forward here to the next possession for K-State. They have to it, – it, it's a possession that doesn't come away with any points, but I thought it was a gutsy possession here for Kansas State. It's a six-minute drive that is ultimately ends in a punt. but A six-minute uh, drive netting 27 yards. Yeah, and ending in a punt, but it at least kind of stemmed the tide a little bit and kept our defense off the field. Uh, Will Howard picks up a, a first down with his legs on, on like a third and six, third and eight, uh, and then going for it with DJ Giddens there. Oh, Kazintai, by the way, Gilo. Um, Thank you. D- DJ Giddens picks up a fourth and one, which K State goes for it. Now, granted, the, I get Will Howard ends up taking a sack there on a third down, which, you know, and I can't remember exactly. I can pull it up while I'm looking at it right now. Oh, okay. So he, he was at the, you know, we were scrimmaging from the 33. You know, that's going to be a 50-yard field goal. I don't know if they if, – if he throws an incomplete pass, do, do you go for it again or, or do you maybe try Zetner for a field goal? I, I, I don't know which way uh, you would necessarily go with that. Uh, but uh, with the Will Howard sack, that takes away, um, you know, any of those uh, any of those options there in K-State's forced to punt. Now, yeah, I talked about the big play here for K-State – or for, well, for TCU – uh, to get back in the game with the Philip Brooks muff punt on the next possession, K State's able uh, to get their big play in, in, in a turnover uh, in the end zone by Max Duggan, where uncharacteristically makes a bad decision, and that K State defense, uh, which was in his face all day long, really gets some uh, ha- has that dividend pay off with the interception there in the end zone. Yeah, and that's just, I mean, it's a credit to the K State pass rush for getting into his face, forcing kind of a quick throw uh, on what was probably going to be a fade route uh, supposed to be just a jump ball. I believe that was over to Quentin Johnston's. It was, uh, it was for sure. And uh, forces the throw out a little bit early. Julius Prince, uh, just perfect coverage eyes, you know, fully aware of, of what was happening where the ball was, uh, which is a tall task 
uh, when you're also tasked with covering Quentin Johnston um, and was just right there. And it was, you know, ultimately uh, just being in perfect position and, and having your eyes and being aware of, of what's going on. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that was a huge play. It takes uh, points off the board for TCU because they're right down there near the goal line. Um, but again, it's, it's, we've talked about it all season. It's this, that synergy of the defense of having a good pass rush and quality guys in the secondary that can take advantage of it. Now, K-State takes over there um, and it doesn't take them long to really stretch that lead out. And, and man, I, I have to say, this is one of my favorite plays in the last, um, I, I don't know, maybe 20 plus years of K-State football. Yeah, it's it's one of the best, it, it's one of the most fun plays in K-State history as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I, I wasn't talking about the second and nine throw to Phillip Brooks that get that gets K-State a first down. I'm talking about Deuce Vaughn's 44-yard touchdown run where, and from where our seats were, we had the perfect, um, we had the perfect uh, angle for that uh, where you could really see that he, he caught the corner uh, and he was able to, you know, get to that second level untouched. And when you saw it, it was just one man and Deuce had uh, plenty of run up to him. You knew he had no chance in case they was able to take at that point a 28-17 lead. And, uh, you know, at that point you can really taste it for K-State. And credit to TCU. Uh, and, and this has been a great TCU team. And it's been the story of their season all year. Uh, they keep coming back at you uh, for more. Yeah. Um, that that set up in Juke by Deuce Vaughn. I mean, he he had his the defender on his rear end, I mean, five yards away from Deuce Vaughn when he passed him. I mean, it it's the, the poor guy never stood a chance, but no, he did it. Uh, he did it. yeah. And then, so on TCU's next drive, they come down, I think K state does a pretty darn good job of bowing up there on their own 24 yard line, fourth and four. And when Sonny Dykes sent out the field goal team, I, uh, you I raised tried. a that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and also, too, Julius Brooks, who did have the earlier interception, drops maybe what would have been a game stealer um, with um, with uh, with the probably easiest interception he might have had that have had a chance at all season. But, you know, TCU picks up a, a fourth and ten on that drive. Didn't go for it on fourth and four, which did surprise me, too. Um but I thought maybe Sonny – maybe the thought process there is like, hey, you know, we already picked up one here. Let's not test our luck. Let's cut it to one possession and live the fight another day if we can. Yeah, I still think that was probably the wrong call um, because at that point, K-State kicks a field goal and, you know, the, the game's just about over. Uh, but Sonny Dykes puts faith in his defense and, and puts – his faith in the team that, that they're going to get, they're going to shut out K-State the rest of regulation and go and score and get a two-point conversion and um, take care of business. And that turned out to be pretty prophetic uh, because that's exactly what happened. You know, K-State, the next possession, there was, I know that there are some folks around me anyway, and, and this is just, you know, fans being fans, but we're a little uh, critical of maybe kind of how we handled that second or the, our, I guess would have been our second to last drive um, 
here before regulation where K-State was maybe a little too conservative. You know, K-State runs the ball first play, then hits Phillip Brooks for a 12-yard pass for a first down, and then uh, is is uh, able to um, get a, a, a manageable third and six where they take a shot down the field to Deuce Vaughn. Didn't love that play call, but K-State uh, had a chance there with uh, with Deuce, I believe, on – I believe it was on the same guy he might have made look silly uh, on that touchdown run. And uh, case they'd have to settle for a punt, and then TCU, uh, this next drive is all Max Duggan. Yeah, I mean that's why the guy gets invited to New York. He uh, he's uh, he's darn good, and um, you know, for a guy that I had been critical of throughout his career at, at TCU, and I, you know, it seems like he's been there a really long time. Um, and for years, I just said, I don't get the Max Duggan thing. And it's largely a product of him not having very good performances against K-State. Sure, um, yeah. But this year, he's he's been lights out. And it's just no doubt. I mean, you know, it's been – this horse has been beaten to death. But the guy's uh, – he's kind of got that I, – I don't know. He, he's – just got that will to win. He's a guy that I compare a little bit to like Todd Reesing. I think he's a little more physically gifted than Reesing was, but just one of those gamer types that is just a pain in the butt to play against because he's just very creative in the backfield, uh, can buy some time for himself and really can do everything pretty darn good. And what he did pretty darn good on that final drive was run um, because he, I mean, aside from <laughs> yeah. a, aside from you know a, a pass interference here or there, uh, just about every play he ran was, uh, I mean, just about every yard they gained on that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it essentially was. V. Mercado had a five yard run, uh, and one play I want to mention too, and I, it was a, it, it's interesting a little bit in in kind of the way this game ends, in my opinion is the pass interference call, uh, the offensive pass interference call for TCU, because let's say that they, that wasn't called. Let's say they scored there. They would have scored with a little over three minutes left. Now, that you can play this back a, a couple different ways, right? Let's say TCU scores there with three minutes left, and you know K-State isn't able to have to punt the ball back to them you know, with, with less than a minute left. Uh, you know, at the at the six yard line, you know TCU's got a chance to go win the game there uh, potentially, and and you know K State obviously may have handled that situation a little bit later, but having a little bit more time run off the clock, uh, you know K State kind of had that chance there because they took over uh, on that next drive with just under two minutes left, and uh, at that point you kind of had to feel like, well for K State if anyone's going to win this game in regulation, it's it's likely going to be us. And yeah. if, if they score with three minutes left, that extra minute comes into effect where, you know, only a field goal is needed. And you, you've seen Griffin Kell with his uh, heroics this season uh, that they're able to, you know, get that done if in a, in a needed situation there. So that is kind of one play I think that kind of gets lost here uh, in, the, in, in the wildness of that final five minutes of the game there. But uh, certainly something that, that caught my eye. Yeah. And, you know, who's to say what happens if they score faster or this or that, but 
Um, one guy, because here's the thing, TCU gets a ball with a minute 50 left on their own six yard line. Um, you know, they're still playing with a little bit of fire too, depending on how hard they want to press the gas. I mean, it, that's almost one of those weird positions where it's like, nobody wants the ball exactly. Um, or at least TCU doesn't really love their spot, even though they have possession. Um, with a little and bit we, of time. It's, yeah, and we certainly had a chance there at the end of regulation with a couple opportunities where, you know, Deuce Vaughn, and the, this is a play that I, when I was watching it live, you know, I thought he was just a, a shoestring away from really getting the, the ball down in, in the field goal range on that slant pass over the middle on third and four. Uh, he was just a whisker away from breaking that. And then, if, yeah. you know, if he does, at that point, K-State's sitting in really good shape uh, where they can really tighten screws there. Now, ultimately, uh, K-State has to end up punting. And, you know, let's let's give it up to Seth Porter there. Made a heck of a play there on, on down in that punt at the six-yard line. Yeah, well, and we've been monitoring him all season, um, especially on, on punt coverage. Or, I'm sorry, uh, punt receiving pump blocking and all that sort of thing. Um, but credit to him uh, on punt coverage to get down there and, and get it down there on the six. Also credit to Ty Zentner, who has just been great for K-State all season. But pinning him down there made that last minute or so uh, a little – that last 40 seconds really more stress-free than it may have been had they got the ball at the 25. Sure. Sure. So let's get to overtime. You know, the the play that the series that K-State fans will remember for a long time is that goal line stand. Um, yes. You know, so 15 yards on the first down run by Miller. They, they've got first and goal at the 10. Now, this comes into something that I've chatted with some folks about. And I'll, uh, they're members of the short side option family. And uh, I, I've chatted with them about this. I say, you know, it's better to have first and 10 from the 11, then first and goal from the 10. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, really, it, it's, it gives you a little bit, it gives you a yard more room for your offense to operate, but 10 yards is 10 yards. I mean, I don't know that it makes that big of a difference, but no, I, I, I understand the psychology behind it. I think the folks in Fort Worth might have a disagreement with you there, Deli. But uh, anyway... K-State's able to bow up here. You know, a little controversy on that third down. Uh, You know, was Kendra Miller in? A little controversy, too, in terms of the play calling from the TCU side of things. You know, heck, Duggan's ran the ball a thousand times here today, and he's run for a thousand yards. What's one more, you know, uh, to to get him in the end zone? But uh, K-State's able to, um, to stop him on fourth down, on that fourth down play two guys that have been kind of at the center of this K-State defense um, all season. Eli Huggins and Daniel Green combined there to make the stop. And at that point, when when K-State it, it stops TCU on fourth down, uh, K-State firmly in control here. Now, Dilu, I want to ask you, too. On fourth down in, in you know, two feet, or uh, not even two feet, a foot uh, for, for TCU. One I want to ask you uh, the play call. What what did you think of that? And then two, with TCU just saying, "Hey, we're gonna go up, or we're just gonna try to go ahead and, and score a touchdown here." 
How much do you think that might have been impacted by everybody? In, and you have to remember what happened Friday night with USC losing uh, to uh, Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Did, did TCU kind of feel like, hey, you know what, we're in this thing either way in terms of getting into the playoff? Let's just go ahead and try to uh, try to win it here or try to at least score a touchdown here to, to see how things go. Uh, I'm curious how all that would have maybe changed if the result on Friday night might have been a little differently or if TCU would have continued to uh, just go ahead and go for it there at, uh, on fourth and one. So first I'll, I'll talk about the play call. I don't really have that big of an issue with it. I mean, the yeah, everyone says sneak, 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 but Duggan was also broken at this point, man. I mean, sure. I think he was just gassed. And you have Kendra Miller in the backfield, who's pretty good back. You have a decent interior offensive line. I mean, I they should be able to get a foot. Um, you know, if you want to get a little creative, maybe do like we did. I believe it was the KU game where you fake the inside dive and, and pitch it out. And that probably would have worked for him. Uh, just in hindsight, you see how huge the K-State defensive line was pinching in there. Um, but, no, I mean, the play calls don't really – under the circumstances, I don't know how – what Duggan's condition was at that point because it was pretty apparent to me that he was <laughs> holding on <laughs> to his life by a thread there. Um, yeah. And so I think that probably factored into it that we don't know if – we don't know what his legs are like to be pushing – a trying to force a pile forward. Um, and so normally I'd say, yeah, just I think you'd want one of those two downs to be a sneak. But um, I don't know. So I'm willing to give Dykes a benefit of the doubt on that. Um, and I don't think I, – I, I think it was the right call to go for it there. Um, and so I don't think that the USC result, the we're in either way result, um, really impacted that. Uh, because, you know, you, you get down to the one inch line, it becomes a pretty, the risk reward, uh, I think tilts so much in favor of going for it that it, it, it's hitting on 15. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, there was a lot of consternation, um, by TCU people saying, oh, why didn't we just do this or that? But so no, I, I think number one going for it was the right call there, and number two, uh, I I trust that Sonny Dykes uh, probably called the play he thought was best, and nobody really knows how what Duggan's condition is or, or whether running a quarterback sneak at that point with him would have been wise. No, I and I don't disagree with any of that. And I, I think, too, I think it did factor. To me, in my opinion, it, it, it factored in a little bit, like saying, you know, hey, at this point we're, we're playing in a Big 12 championship game. Let's go ahead and try to win it here. And, you know, maybe maybe some of the USC, like knowing that our spot in the playoff is extremely likely secured with their loss last night, you know, let's just go ahead and try to win it here anyway. I, I, I don't know how much that factors in. It's just something that I kind of had thought of maybe factors into the decision-making, you know, I, 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 with, with what Sonny Dykes and with uh, what Garrett Riley try to do offensively, they're going to take chances. I don't know if it would have been any different one way or the other. 
And that would have been a pretty big weenie call there to kick the field goal from, you know, the one foot line. Uh, Tough angle. What? Tough angle. Oh, that's true. But I think, you know, there would have been a plenty of second guessing there if, if oh, he kicks sure. the field goal in K-State. And on the next play, Deuce Vaughn goes down and and uh, scores a touchdown. Um, So kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. What went wrong for him is that they were they had two chances from inside the one-yard line and, and K-State's defense bowed up. Yep, and, and not to take anything away from, from what this K-State defense did. It's going to go down as, you know, with the Miami – uh, stand at the goal line uh, in 2011. Uh, very, very much a um, uh, a similar type of, uh, you know, right, right, I mean, right at the goal line uh, in, in both of those situations where K-State uh, comes up. It's a good thing the football field is not 99 yards uh, rather than 100 because uh, it, it, K-State needed every last uh, foot there and they're able to stop TCU at the one or at the at the one foot line there, and at that point, K State's in firm control. Deuce Vaughn for nine yards on the first carry, uh, on a jet sweep, he picks up the first down, and then at that point, K State is pretty much content to play the field goal game, and then Ty Sintner walks it off there with the walk off uh, game winning field goal right down the middle. Yeah, yep, I think that was. Uh... Quite a bit of faith in Zentner there, but it it worked out. Um, you know, uh, Zentner's been nails from that range all season, and he was nails there against TCU in the Big Twelve Championship. And um, good for him because talk about a a field goal unit that towards the first half of the season, K State was a little listless with it. I mean, um, kind of searching for answers, but there he was, the weapon. And he was our answer all along. Absolutely. And when we get to the kind of our final thoughts here, you know, what I would go to is a couple things. When you look at the game in October for K-State and TCU, and when, then when you look here at the game of the Big 12 Championship game. You know, the story of the game was uh, when, when K-State played TCU, uh, at least K-State defensively uh, in the first matchup, beat up, but they couldn't stop Kendrick Miller and they couldn't couldn't you know get off the field on defense where with where TCU was just being able to uh, gobble up time of possession and, and keeping this K-State defense which was already shorthanded uh, in that game uh, in some really tough positions. K-State did a much better job in the run game withstanding what Max Duggan was able to do kind of on his own with what K-State was doing seemingly with a lot of blitzes uh, he was able to escape that a few times and, and hurt K-State with his with his feet. But holding Kendra Miller to 82 yards, Dean Marcato uh, to 27 on four carries, you know, K-State did a much better job in this matchup with TCU on the ground. And, you know, Quentin Johnson, he did his thing, uh, four catches for 140 yards. But really, you know, other, other than that, Tay Barber, Jared Wiley, uh, pretty well held in check uh, for case to, or for TCU, and uh, this K State defense made enough plays, and and that was uh, the story to me. And then you know, really the other thing you have to look at too, Will Howard. You know, not not necessarily a great game, eighteen of thirty two, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Now there were a couple balls that he put in kind of uh, uh, up for grabs there where TCU certainly could have uh, made a play and, and and picked him off, but another steady game from Will Howard. Uh, when all the chips were uh, in the middle of the table. 
yeah, and uh, I thought Will Howard played a pretty good game, especially uh, under the circumstances with Malik Knowles' early departure. Um, you know, finding different guys, RJ Garcia in particular. Um, so no, I I think it was another solid performance, probably one of Howard's uh, worst performances of the season, which uh, it was an abridged season, but not the real fireworks K-State's become accustomed to out of, out of Will Howard, which is really saying something. And it's a testament to the level of play he's given K-State this year that, oh, just a pretty pedestrian 200 yards through the air, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, a great day at the office by uh, a lot of different measures, but a relatively pedestrian day by his 2022 standards. But certainly uh, solid and certainly good enough for K-State uh, uh, to get the W. Let's go ahead and, and kind of give some reflection here in terms of where this game ranks at in terms of K-State games here in our lifetime. You know, K-State's third conference championship uh, in our lifetimes, of course, 2003, 2012, and now 2022. Uh, first championship, conference championship in a decade. Uh, Dilu, I, I feel like we uh, had, had kind of talked about this, uh, of course, over the course of the last couple of weeks. But in terms of where this game ranks for you, I think we hold it in similar regard uh, as to where it comes out to as one of the more meaningful wins in, in our lifetime for Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not really prepared to do a, to do a, well, is this game bigger than 2003? Is it bigger than... 98, I don't think, I don't think you. I don't think you can put it higher than 2003 Oklahoma or 1998 Nebraska, but I certainly think it's number three in that. Yeah, case, at least for I. Me. I don't know. It's certainly around there. And in terms of a of a win for a program, to um, just in terms of program momentum and and uh just meaning to the fans. I mean, I, I think it's certainly right up there. Uh, 98 Nebraska feels a little bit in its own tier. Uh, but I, I think that this is akin to 2003. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, it's hard to overstate it. It's certainly the defining win of Chris Kleiman's career so far. Um, at, at least at Kansas state. And it's, it's one where you know it doesn't. It wasn't like a crazy big upset like 2003 felt like. By game time, K State was actually favored uh, by more than a point uh, in some books. <clears throat> but it, it's just a a game where K State performed like it had in a lot of the games this season, where K State uh, really rides Deuce Vaughn. Um, and he provides some big plays. The defense comes up with big plays, uh, especially the defensive line. Um, and then it's been the story of the second half of the season. Will Howard does his job and makes big throws. And, and you know, it's I almost want to use the term game manager, but I think that short changes him. Um, but it's, you know, it was really an all hands on deck sort of sort of game on Saturday or on a couple Saturdays ago, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Um, in terms of, I don't, I don't really know 
exactly how to define it other than to say, yeah, it's, it's an enormous win. Um, it, you know, all the talk about, you know, that we'd heard for decades now that Bill Snyder is the only one who can win at K state. Um, it, it kind of rids the ghost of Ron Prince a little bit in that respect that in, in all the naysayers who say, Oh, only Bill Snyder can do it because only Bill Snyder's ever done it. Uh, that was always ridiculous. Um, but Kleiman put that to bed uh, thoroughly uh, in Arlington when K-State goes and beats a college football playoff team and, and brings home the Dr. Pepper. Yep, 100%. 100%. I think that's a great point, too, when, you know, it was, yeah, well, K-State or Kansas State, that's a um, – that's a that's a one coach program, you know that that can only only one guy has ever won there. Only one guy can ever win there. Uh, that is a narrative that Chris Kleiman put to bed. And K State thirty one twenty eight over TCU, one of the more uh, one of the more exciting games I think that I've ever been to. Whether if it's you know when you want to get into uh, you know the breakdown of what game is more meaningful and all that stuff, that's up for debate, of course, uh, to anyone. But in terms of a game that you know from just a, a fan perspective in terms of a thoroughly entertaining, exciting game. Uh, this one's way up there for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I It's a fantastic game. It, it had the attention of the country on it and uh, a great day for K-State. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, D-Lou, let's put a wrap here on the uh, the conference championship game. It's a 31-28 Kansas State win over TCU. They are your Big 12 champions, Kansas State is. And uh, D-Lou, let's take a quick break here, but we've got a lot more here on this episode of the short side option. When we come back, we're going to uh, kind of do a quick reset here as we get into bowl season uh, about uh, what maybe some of the top brands are in the Big 12 here moving forward. And as we get into bowl season, and then we're also going to uh, go in, give our uh, it's award season too for us here on the short side option, where we unveil the winners of the shorty. Yes, that's right, folks. The shorty, the short side options, very own award show. And then we're going to answer your questions in our Ask the Icon segment. All this and a lot more here after a quick break. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. You're listening to D. Lou and the Icon. And we're going to revisit a segment that we haven't done in a few weeks, a segment we call Babbling About Brands, Triple B, um, where the icon and I will go through and, and kind of give it a, an update on where some of the top brands are and where some of the bottom brands are in the Big 12 and kind of uh, put them in order here for you. Just to, you know, the icon and I were super cognizant of brands, um, the weight they carry, the, the number of eyeballs, um, that view each brand, the types of things people associate each brand with. And we're just all about uh, trying to identify brand strength around uh, the Big 12. And the last time we did this was oh, probably a couple, a month or two ago at this point. There's been some yep. um, activities. Some that shake act, up. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of a shake up here. Um, so Icon, let's, let's just go through here. Uh, your 12th brand is... It's the Houston Cougars deal. Um, it's uh, they're still sitting at number twelve for me. Uh, kind of an up and down season for Houston. Uh, you know, I, I still uh, think that this is a brand that is. It, it, once they kind of maybe get some footing in the Big Twelve, uh, you know, has a chance to to be you know in that upper middle class. But right now, kind of a tough season for the Cougs. Uh, so I, I've got them 
still at number 12. Yes, I agree. The The Cougs are, are last in the conference for me. Um, I'll go to number 11. 11 for me is Iowa State. Iowa State, uh, the 11 spot in the Big 12. Um, terrible football season. Um, you know, the shine off Matt Campbell has, has totally worn off. Uh, still have a minuscule press box. It's an embarrassment to Iowa State. It's an embarrassment to the conference as far as I'm concerned. And at this point, I think people associate Iowa State with just kind of what they've always associated Iowa State with, with the exception of uh, Matt Campbell's flash in the pan years. And that's just poor football. Um, and this year is no exception. Icon, who do you have at 11? I've got Iowa State as well, one and eight in conference play, four and yeah. eight overall. Uh, you know, Iowa State got off to a three and zero start this year, beat Iowa for the first time uh, in, in some time. And, you know, that was about the highlight of their season because uh, once you got past uh, the mid-September uh, point of the schedule, uh, not a whole lot of uh, – not a whole lot to cheer about for, for fans of Iowa State. Uh, I, too, have them at, at number 11. All right, take us to number 10. Number 10, I've got the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, you're saying, hey, Icon, man, this, this team went 6-6. Six and six. They're, they're in a bowl game for the first time uh, in, in a long time, since 2008. And that's all true. That's why I have them where I have them, at number 10. Because, well, one, hey, yeah, you, you went 6-6 six and six this year. You're going to a brand. Great job. Or you're going to a bowl game for the first time in a long time. Great job. I got to see a little bit more. I got to see, you know, that this is a program that has sustained power. Now, Lance Leipold inked to a uh, a long-term extension. Same with his offensive coordinator, uh, Andy Koltanecki. But uh, this is a brand that uh, certainly has improved its stock here uh, in the 2020 season. But I've still got them at number 10. Um, Yeah. At, uh, at number 10, I have the Cincinnati Bearcats. Oh, Icon. A little bit of a shakeup here. Okay. Cincinnati, uh, they get their head coach poached. Um, I it's kind of an ugly situation for them. Um, I think that that's bad optics. Uh, that Luke Fickle is is no longer coaching Cincinnati and is instead taking over Wisconsin. Um, I think this season was a bit of a disappointment for them on the field. Um, and so, nonetheless, I I think that. Maybe some uh, that's going to impact their brand a little bit and and hurt them um, as far as a brand goes, especially uh, because Luke Fickle is is who people associate Cincinnati with. And without him, what le- what else is there? That's a great point. That's a great point. And, you know, Cincinnati hot off of going to the college football playoff last year, had, had a little bit of a uh, of a tough time this year in the American. Uh, still a good program, but you have to wonder what maybe some of that staying power is uh, going forward. Great job by you there, Dell. Yeah. Uh, at number nine, I have uh, Texas Technical. Um, I think they, they did an okay job this year in football, um, but I think they're having to kind of brush off a lot of that stink over the last uh, 10 years, really since the departure of Mike Leach um of of what is texas tech football um you know they go tommy tuberville they go back to cliff kingsbury uh they go to matt wells now they have joey mcguire down there and they're joey mcguire i it was the best season in a long time for texas tech football um 
winning. I think this was their first winning season um, in conference play uh, in a long time for Texas Tech. But, uh, you know, you, you can't impact the brand that much in a single season. I think people still associate them with basketball more than football. Um, and so I have Texas Technical in the nine spot near the in the, in the bottom, uh, the bottom third here of the Big 12 Conference. Yeah, so we're kind of in agreement here. I've got Cincy at nine. And then, uh, you know, as I look ahead here to number eight, that's where I have Texas Technical. And uh, a lot of the same, a lot of the same discussion here. You know, uh, a nice season for Texas Tech, their first winning conference season in some time, five and four in the league. Uh, it exceeded our preseason expectations. I thought we had them around, you know, five and seven, maybe a six and six if they, if you really squint team. Uh, they go seven and five this year and they beat Oklahoma and Texas for the first time in a season in, in a long time. So on the uptick, still need to see a little bit more from Joe McGuire. I know he has a big recruiting class coming in, uh, but uh, certainly a uh, a program that's getting on a little bit better footing here as we get into the new Big 12. All right. So uh, I believe we are on. You're, you're, you're at number eight here, Deli. All right. Number eight, I have Kansas. Um, I think they they move up a little bit in my rankings just because uh, of improving football a little bit. Um, we'll see as they play in the uh, Liberty Bowl against Arkansas, depleted Arkansas team, uh, whether or not they're able to take advantage of that. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think improving on the gridiron a, a little bit um, certainly helps Kansas out. They're still uh, probably the worst Power 5 program uh, over the last – 10 years or so. And so they have a, a ways to go there towards um, improving what's a pretty cemented uh, perception of, of their brand in. Um, but anyway, that's, that's why I have them at number eight. Now, um, if I could, if I could go ahead here and break off number seven here for us, sure. On the short side options brand rankings here of the new big 12. And Dilo, this is one of my biggest followers. And that's the Brigham Young Cougars. Whoa. That's right. I have them going from number three, where I had them uh, just a mere month and a half ago. Now they're the seventh brand in the Big 12. My, my. How the mighty have fallen. Yeah. So, you know, with, with the BYU Cougars, uh, a tough season. Now, they did get a nice win over Southern Methodist in their bowl game here just this past week. But kind of an up-and-down season here for BYU. They start off beating Baylor. Um, in a nice game uh, here early on in the season, and then just kind of a mixed bag of results uh, to where they they finish out the season, you know, that seven five uh, regular season. Uh, I you know I look at what BYU does, and you know you're always going to have a loyal fan base and kind of that national following a little bit. But this year on the football field, uh, it, it, they really fell fell short uh, this year. And we'll we'll be interested to see kind of how they rebound uh, here in, in the future. Um, at number seven, I have Texas Christian. Uh, I they oh. jumped they jumped a little bit in my rankings. Uh, they were tenth when we did this last time. I think their uh, their success this year catapults them up a little bit. Uh, still seen as a commuter school um, by most, I think, uh, but. I, I think getting it done this year um, on the gridiron really helped them out. And uh, 
we'll see if, if Sonny Dykes can continue to uh, keep uh, that as a brand on the rise. But I, I do think that um, this season, it, it's fair to say that they, they are a brand on the rise. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, let's get to number six here. So now we're, we're entering the, uh, the top half brand here uh, of the, uh, of the big 12 and I've got West Virginia at number six. Okay. Yeah. I, you know what? I have West Virginia at number six as well. You know, we wanted to kill off Neil Brown, I think about five different times this season, but he, he kept his job and, uh, you know, a nice kind of end of the season, a uh, little bit of a push there where they, they won a few games, they beat Baylor, uh, they beat Oklahoma, and then they go out and beat Oklahoma State. You know, I think it's funny. If you told a West Virginia fan uh, this year, hey, you're going to beat Oklahoma and you're going to beat Oklahoma State, but you're not going to go to a bowl game this year. They probably would have looked at you a little funny. They would have said, you know, heck, I think if we beat Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, we're looking at at least eight wins probably. Yes. Not the case, not the case for West Virginia this season. Yeah, you guys beat Virginia Tech, you beat – Oklahoma and you beat Oklahoma State. Um, yeah, but that's that's about it. And they're having to hang on to Neil Brown because they gave him a, a bizarre contract extension under under dubious circumstances. The athletic director is out. Uh, Neil Brown is still there. Uh, but that's a that's a brand on the fall for me. Okay, and well, and I, I think that it's easy to see. Uh, kind of where that uh, that all shakes out there, but it'll be interesting because Neil Brown, he, the guy new uh, athletic director, and after Shane Lyons uh, gets dismissed, uh, you have to feel like he'll be coaching for his job again here in 2023. Oh yeah, yeah, and it'll be expensive to fire him next year too. Um, at number five, Icon, I have Oklahoma State. Okay. Um, that's a that's a brand on the fall for me. They, I had them at four in our last brand rankings. Uh, talk about a, a team that's just totally fell apart there in the back half of the year. They did. Um, they were riding pretty high um, when they were riding into Fort Worth. Uh, there in the middle of the season, right in the top ten, um, everything was going right for them. They were looking at a college football playoff, uh, you know, contention there. Um, and then the wheels fell off. Then Spencer Sanders gets hurt, um, and they had a lot of injuries uh, across a lot of different positions, but the wheels completely fell off. You have guys transferring out like it's um, like they're trying to get off the Titanic there. Uh, and you start to wonder if, if Mike Gundy, um, if Mike Gundy's brand is starting to diminish a little bit, because yeah. I think Mike Gundy's brand is a little bit coextensive with Oklahoma state's brand. Uh, they're, they're a little bit synonymous at this point. Um, and so I have them as a slight brand on the fall this year. So I want Oklahoma State at four. At number five, I have UCF. Which yeah, okay. Uh, so we just have those reversed. Yep. And UCF, you, you, you all you what you mentioned about Oklahoma State, I, I, I co-signed there with UCF. This is a brand that continues to grow. Uh, you know, another great season on, on the uh, on the on the football field for the night. Uh, yesterday they pulled a recruit away from Florida. Brand on the brand on the rise for me. Yeah, and they still have Nitro. And they also have a national championship. Yep, that's here, right. Here, here in just a few years back, and uh, you know, excited about what UCF uh, brings to the mix here in the Big Twelve, moving forward. Uh, All right. Okay. So now we're, we're into our top, top three here. We are. We are, Delhi. You, you fire away for me. 
I have Brigham Young at number three. Uh, I think that uh, they were a huge brand on the fall for you this year. Yeah, they were a, a slight brand on the fall for me too. I moved them from two to three, um, but I still have power. I still have a uh, faith in the power of, of Brigham Young's brand. Um, and it's just hard to argue with that international fan base and that international recognition of, of what it means to be a Brigham Young Cougar. You know, and maybe I'm shortchanging that a little bit as I have BYU at seven, but, you know, I, I see that as a brand a little bit on the decline. That international following you do mention is, is something that, uh, for you anyway, boy, their brand just still being number three on your brand rankings. For me, number three, it's a, it's a K-State's adversary in the Big 12 championship game. It's the Texas Christian Horn Frogs. All right. Uh, so a big jump from then, uh, from nine to three for me. Uh, this is a brand that is going to be representing the Big 12 in uh, the college football playoff in a game against Michigan, which I think not a lot of people are giving TCU much uh, of, of a chance in. But uh, don't count on the Horn Frogs. This is uh, a tough team, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what they can bring uh, against the Wolverines of Michigan. Yeah, no, I think that's valid. Uh, if, if they go out and beat Michigan, I, I think that they'll definitely uh, be a brand on the rise. And, and my, what, what I would expect them to pass West Virginia in my brand rankings. Um, and there's a chance they might even get into the top five if they can play in the uh, national championship game. Okay. Okay. That's good to see. I, I like that. I like that. Now it's the top two here. Yeah. Really? Fire away. And number two, I have Baylor. I think, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a little odd that I have them as a brand on the rise, given kind of a disappointing season for them. But you know what? There's something about that good old Baylor line icon. Um, That's right. That's and, right. Absolutely. And 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 that is a brand there. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, they caught a little heat for for losing their quarterback, uh, the young lad Nova Sad, to Oregon uh, in in the recruiting battle. But um, you know, yeah, I, I think that the the mystique of McLean stadium and all that tradition there um, as well as the Baylor line. Um, you know, I, I just think that the, the staying power of that brand, it, it just really can't be denied. Um, so that's why I have Baylor at number two. You mentioned that good old Baylor line. And I, uh, that's what I come back to every time when I, when I break down this Baylor uh, program and, you know, Dave Aranda, Scott Drew, that's solid footing to be on. And uh, the uh, the Baylor Bears are are going to be a mainstay here at the top of uh, the of the new Big Twelve. We see that very similarly. All right, and that leaves uh, Kansas State at the top spot. I think. Yep. There's you know, there's not really a lot of explanation necessary, given that they just they were in the top spot before, and they go in and and cement themselves with Dr Pepper, um, but. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think it's kind of self-explanatory at this point. Uh, the Power Cat brand has has never been hotter, and I think it really, I think it's fair to say that it kind of dwarfs everyone else in the conference at this point. You know, Dilu, there's a saying that I think is particularly applicable here: the more things change, the more they stay the same. And for for us, it, it, it it's simple: it's Kansas State as the pr- premier brand. In the Big 12, uh, you see K-State uh, going out, winning the Big 12, and they're rewarded with that, uh, with a matchup against 
you know, maybe the biggest brand in all of college sports, uh, a matchup with Alabama, the Crimson Tide, uh, in the Sugar Bowl, uh, a bowl game season tradition, uh, a fitting end here for, for K-State here in this 2022 season uh, to be uh, included with, with Alabama as a Titan of college football. Yeah, in the, speaking of the Sugar Bowl, the brand matchup here, I think um, it's a little reminiscent of some of those big Oregon games, those when they played in the national championship. Uh, oh, I forget what year yeah, it was. Against Ohio State, yeah. Yeah, where it's it's kind of that blue blood versus the near blue blood um, type of brand. And Oregon wasn't really able to to bust through. Um, you know, we'll see if K-State can, because if, if, if K-State can – defeat Alabama, defeat a brand like that on the biggest stage. Um, I mean, it's hard to deny that that K-State's brand is is any weaker than anyone else's brand in the country, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. Well, let's go ahead and kind of just do a quick wrap-up here. I'll go first. 12 through 1, Houston, Iowa State, KU, Cincinnati, Texas Tech, BYU, West Virginia, UCF, Oklahoma State, Texas Christian, Baylor, and at number one, Kansas State. Dell, yep. I've got I, and Dell, I've got yours down here. You want to you want to run through those? Yeah, I got Houston at twelve, Iowa State at eleven, Cincinnati at ten, at nine I have Texas Technical, eight Kansas, seven Texas Christian, six Western Virginia, five Oklahoma State, number four UCF, number three Brigham Young. Number two, Baylor, and number one with a bullet, Kansas State. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that pretty much puts the wrap here on babbling about brands. And let's not let's not wait around here. Let's get into our uh our season awards here in, in a little segment that we're gonna call the shorties. Uh where the, the first shorties annual shorties. Yeah, where the shorties and this is where we we've got four awards to give away tonight. Offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year an unsung hero award, and then maybe the award that I'm most proud of, the all shorty. Somebody who on, on Kansas State's team embodies the heart of the short side option podcast. Delu, for the offensive player of the year, this one's easy for me. I got to go with number 22, Deuce Vaughn here. Yeah, I think that it's consensus. I, I think one other player nominated would uh, be Will Howard. Um, sure. because, you know, if we get the Will Howard performances of last year, um, we're certainly not playing in Arlington and we're certainly not winning there. Um, but, uh, I think he comes up short to, uh, number 22, the all everything for Kansas state, the, the Swiss army knife, um, on offense who can, um, break long runs. He can do some things in the open field in the passing game. Um, and, and really, even with the rise of K-State's downfield vertical threat, it still felt like uh, K-State's offense uh, was run through Deuce Vaughn, regardless of who was taking the snaps. Absolutely. Deuce Vaughn, consensus, short side option, offensive player of the year. Now we go to defense. Defensive player of the year, I think we might be in agreement here. Number 91, Felix Duque Zama. Yeah, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, the Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year. Uh, it's hard to uh, figure out 
uh, an award he hasn't won, but you can add a shorty to the list yep. because he uh, he did a lot for K-State, even when he wasn't getting his name in the box score. I mean, just making life hell for opposing quarterbacks. And when he wasn't doing that personally, he was eating up multiple blocks. Um, and I think that frees up a lot of things across the offensive, across the defensive line, uh, in the linebacking core and helping out the secondary when he's able to, uh, get in the face of the quarterback. So, um, yeah, number 91, I, I think that that's, uh, another consensus there. You know, in w- when you look at both Deuce Vaughn and, uh, Felix Sanduke Azama here as our offensive and defensive, uh, player of the years, winners of the shorty up uh, for those awards. You look at those guys and look at how much uh, attention they draw uh, from opposing teams. Their impact is immeasurable really throughout. So uh, kudos to both of those guys, well-deserving uh, of those shorties. Let's go here now to the Unsung Hero Award. In Dilu, I'm giving it to two people. Uh, and I'm anxious to hear what, what you have to say here for your Unsung Hero. I'm, I'm splitting it up between Austin Moore and Eli Hudson. Wow. No. Yeah. Neither of those guys were who I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, you know, and with Austin Moore, he's a guy that I thought played uh, tremendous here in the linebacker position was a big question mark kind of going in. Who's going to be that next guy? You know, we know Daniel Green, but Austin Moore really emerged throughout the season. And I thought maybe was K-State's best linebacker uh, throughout the season. He he was available throughout the whole season too, which was a huge uh, plus. Uh, And Eli Huggins, it's a shame that he didn't get more recognition by uh, either the media or the uh, the coaches in the Big 12 uh, and not get on one of those first or second teams in the Big 12. Now, granted, there are some great defensive linemen in, in the Big 12, but you'd be hard-pressed for me to find someone better that I would take uh, in the Big 12 other than Eli Huggins. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think both those guys are, are great. I think, uh, to me, I think Austin Moore, there's nothing unsung about him. I mean, I know he didn't quite get the accolades he probably deserved, but among K-State fans, I think a lot of people recognize that that Austin Moore was terrific this year. That, sure. that What a performance. I mean, I was reading on a message board that if you would have told me that <laughs> before the season that we're going to get the second coming of Mark Simino in Austin Moore, I think uh, a lot of people would have looked at you kind of crazy, and, and we certainly would have uh, – bought some stock in the K-State defense had we known that. But um, nonetheless, Eli Huggins is a great pick, a guy who doesn't really show up in the box score, doesn't really show up in the accolades, but gets uh, does a lot for K-State and, and really makes this defense work um, as far as plugging up the middle, eating blockers, and, and doing everything Eli Huggins does. But for me, I, another guy that I uh, really was a surprise for me this year – Brendan Mott. Yeah, um, that's a great call. A guy that really, I mean, it's hard to say whether he's necessarily a starter or not, but a guy who certainly had rotation along the, uh, the defensive line. And, you know, before the season, we were talking about how this is going to be the year um, where, uh, oh, his name's escaping me. Who's the... Uh, Nate Matlack. Yeah, Nate Matlack was going to... Um, really break out uh, and have a fantastic season. And I think he was battling injuries this year uh, for the better part of the season. But um, nonetheless, it was Brendan Mott who ended up 
really having the breakout performance on the other side of the defensive line. And a lot of his credit goes to, I think, Felix uh, on the other side, but certainly in his own right, he held his own and was a a fantastic surprise uh, and a guy that I don't think many people were really expecting much, if anything, out of this year, but a guy who had, if I recall, six, six and a half sacks over the season and uh, was very helpful for pressuring the quarterback for this Kansas State defensive line. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great call with Brandon Mott. I love that. Now let's get to the all shorty. This is, all right. and as, as I mentioned here, this is a guy that uh, really embodies the spirit of the short side option podcast. And we, we will give him the shorty for all shorty. I've got one person in mind for this one. Do so do I. Go ahead. I'll let you fire away. Icon for me, the All Shorty Award this year. It's going to to Ben Sennett, ben um, a guy that I think again. There's this tradition under Kleiman of of K State having these great tight ends and and these big explosive playmakers, and uh, I think Ben Sennett, um, or what we've just been colloquially calling him is Ben. Um, he was all over the place for this offense and, and really was a, a great option um, for both Martinez and Howard and, and Howard in particular, um, whether it was him being the recipient of uh, shovel passes or just big bodying guys like we saw against uh, Baylor. Uh, ben Sennett is a guy that in my mind encapsulates everything the short side option is and everything the short side option strives to be. And that's why uh, Ben Sennett uh, is the loose pick for the all shorty player of the year. I love it. I love it. Ben Sennett gets much needed recognition there. And, and dealing for my all shorty, we're going to go to a guy. I could have gone about a, a thousand different ways here. I thought I had uh, Kobe Savage under heavy consideration. Uh, a guy that uh, really brings it and, of course, you know, got got injured here at the end of the season, but a guy that uh, really encapsulated what everything's about, what it's about to be, uh, you know, uh, what we strive to to promote here on the short side option, tough, physical. You, you had that in spades with Kobe Savage. Talk about Adrian Martinez uh, with what he did, uh, you know, in his action before he got injured uh, as a guy that, um, you know, not only did a lot of great things for Kansas State, but also a guy that really took Will Howard under his wing uh, and really uh, served as a great leader for this Kansas State team, even having been a guy that just got here earlier this year. But for my all shorty, I'm going with all everything. Kicker, punter, kickoff guy, handles it all. Love that. Guy who does it all, just kind of like how we do it here on, on the short side option, whether it's breaking down film, which we do in copious amounts, uh, and also serving as, you know, kind of brand experts, which we, which we you know, just go through with our, our Babble About Brand segment. Ty Zettner wears many hats. He's a jack-of-all-trades, master of just as many. That's why he gets my All Shorty Award. I love it. Well, that wraps up the shorties. Um, I think it was a great success this year, and we can't wait to do it next year. Um, Icon? We're going to move on here and get into our final segment, a segment we call Ask the Icon, where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options. Very young, Chris the Icon Sork, and he'll answer them. And you can submit those questions uh, on Twitter by using the hashtag at TSSO underscore podcast or by tweeting them at us at TSSO underscore podcast. Um, 
or if you uh you know if if you want to do whatever you want here um find alternate ways to get us questions you if you are uh, happen to be a computer hacker uh go ahead and hack into the zoom stream if we happen to be doing it um by zoom this week um and go ahead and ask them live ask the yeah. icon Right and, over and the phone. Dilu, Dilu, one thing I was gonna add, or one thing I was gonna mention too, you know, this time of year, uh, you know, the mail service under a lot of, uh, yeah. under a lot of pressure. This is a time to rely on the carrier pigeon uh, now more than ever. And yeah, uh, I, I I've got my coop. Um, it's it. I mean, they're cold out there, but they're they're willing and ready. So do not forget about the carrier pigeon uh, mode of transportation as well. All right. Well, our first question this week comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Ema. Uh, Trim asks, where do you stand on the extreme cold versus the extreme heat weather preference debate? Give me the cold, baby. Give me the cold. Uh, not me. I'm a, I'm a hot boy. Yeah, um, you know, and it, it's brutally cold here. I know wind chills were down minus 30, 40 degrees here in Kansas City, and I know throughout the upper Midwest, uh, even worse, uh, further farther north you go. And uh, it's uh, not necessarily the most pleasant, but give me this over 150 degrees or 100, not 150 degrees. That'd be that'd be way too hot. But yeah. uh, over those, you know, 50, 100 degree days in a row that, that seemingly plague us from July to August. Enough of that. And, you yep. know, it, honestly, with, with the heat, it's not so much the heat, it's the humidity. That's you know true. That's you a know? really good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um, it, it, it's tough. Now with this cold, no humidity really in the in the picture here. So yeah, uh, that, that that's that that's really what swings it for me. Well, yeah, that's a really good point by you. That's something that people don't really talk about enough. Is that it's not so much the heat as it is the humidity. So that that's a good job out of you. Um, and it, it's a good job by listener Trim. The next question comes from listener at or Todd at TG This. Todd asks, with us winning pretty much a formality. Should we go ahead and wear the sexy alternate unis to break the winless streak? Now, is he referencing the Sugar Bowl? It sounds like he is. I, I think he's. I think he's saying K State's going to pretty much guaranteed to hand Alabama a loss. Um, and with that in mind, should we wear the alternates to to break the uh, the losing streak in the alternate uniforms? Yeah, this might be unpopular, but I'm going to have to say no. Uh, I think the PowerCat brand and, and the uh, because I believe we're the home we're designated as the home team here for the Sugar Bowl. Silver, purple, silver. We get That's the home it. pageantry elements. Yeah, and the pageantry elements will be will be big for Kansas State here in this game. Uh, will you know, a great chance to to further um, promote the the strong Kansas State brand in front of a national audience. Let's let's. Let's dance with the girl that brought you here. I, I like it. Uniforms. Yep. Thank you, listener Todd. Uh, next question comes from listener E underscore S for KSU at E underscore S for KSU. He wants to know uh, what kind of food the icons looking forward to trying uh, in New Orleans. For me, a little crawfish etouffee. Oh, how about that? I like that. A lot, a lot of great food down there in New Orleans. Looking forward to try a little bit of everything. All right. Well, thank you to listener E underscore S for KSU. Um, next question comes from listener Steve Z60 at SL Keck. Steve Z's uh, 
got the three pack here. Um, his first question. Well, again, this is Steve Z60, so it's not ask the icon. It's hey icon. Steve Z says, hey icon. Number one, which offensive recruit of the two, 2023 class has the most NFL potential? And icon, I know that there's going to be a, a little recruiting uh, podcast here at some point uh, in the near future. Um, do you want to delay this one or, or do you want to give a little uh, tidbit on, on who you like to be the best NFL prospect in the two, 2023 class? Yeah, we'll go ahead and tease this for me. Uh, kind of on first hoof here, I'm going to go Jordan Allen. Uh, defensive, uh, I, I think he's going to fit in very well in the case the uh, defensive line uh, group. You know, you see guys like, I think a good comparison to him, maybe a, a former K-State Wildcat that that some folks, uh, you know, have fresh in their memory, uh, in, in a local kid too, Jordan Willis. Um, yeah. I, I, lo- I look for uh, for Allen to have a big-time impact, and, and I think with what he's able to do, just from his body standpoint now, I think he might be able to get on the field, uh, you know, at, at a decent uh, clip here in his true freshman year potentially. And uh, I, I look for him to have a big career with Kansas State. All right. Uh, the second question comes from uh, from Steve Z60. Hey, Icon, would you rather win the Sugar Bowl or the Big 12 in basketball this year? Well, that's a great question. And I would love to win the conference title in basketball this year. But so much of that is is based upon the NCAA tournament, kind of with how with how uh, college football – or college basketball, rather, it, it is, it is looked at. To me – an opportunity to beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, too much to pass up. Give me the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, no-brainer for me. Uh, and then finally, uh, what I think is a really good question here. He says, uh, hey, Icon, which jersey number is the sexiest on a defensive player and which is the sexiest on an offensive player? Offensive player, I think this is easy. It's number seven. Yeah, yeah. You know, a, a, a hallowed uh, number in Kansas State football lore. The number seven, you think of Colin Klein, you think of Michael Bishop. You think of Tony Madison. You think of Tony Madison. You think of, uh, you know, a number of guys that, that have worn the number seven for Kansas State. And uh, to me, uh, you, I mean, Skylar Thompson wore, wore number seven, uh, you know, later on in his career because he knows how important that is uh, as a number for Kansas State. Well, and uh, so no, even on the defensive ahead. side, the, the Josh Buell. Buell. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Going to the defensive side of the ball, I'd be curious to hear your answer here, possibly, if you have one. But for me, this is tough. But I go with a big number 99. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, that, that's you know, the biggest number you can wear. Uh, you you want to have a guy that, that fills that jersey out. Uso Samalo, who's one of my guys. Uh, did a did a heck of a job, and I know he's battling a little bit of injury, but hope to uh, you know have him uh, full bore here going into uh, to next year, of course. Uh, but number ninety nine, a big imposing uh, ninety nine at the defensive tackle position or on the defensive line, you gotta love that. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, that's a great pick. You know, I'm thinking of a uh, another single digit here. I really like number one. Number one, Josh Hayes, Lamar Chapman, one of my guys, Bobby Walker. That's right. Yeah, all all that uh, all that fit there. You know, number one, you have Josh Freeman on the offensive side of the ball, uh, Eric Gallon um, as well. Uh, but when you look at number one, that's a great number two. Lamar Chapman's one of my all-time favorites too. So oh. great pick there. Yeah, uh, it's it's a 
it's nice. It's it's another one that is can go both ways for you there. Uh, but I always like it. I, I really like the uh, um the the single digits there. Um, I uh, and the guys in the secondary who you just mentioned are certified legends. Um, you know, it, Reggie Stubblefield. Reggie Stubblefield. Another Absolutely. Guy. So, so that's a, uh, that's the number for me on, uh, on defense there. And and I think uh, seven on offense is, is a great choice. Uh, great, great job by listener Steve C60. And we'll move on here to Tyler H at TH8 underscore. Tyler asks icon. What is your favorite holiday tradition? Great question here. Uh, favorite holiday tradition. Man, that's a great question. You know, I live here in Kansas City. There's the Plaza Lights that you get to go see, all that stuff. But you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna side pass. Uh, I'm gonna kind of go past that. Christmas cookies. Love Christmas cookies. Yeah. Getting to getting to decorate, make those, and then more importantly, getting to eat them. How how can you beat Christmas cookies? That's yeah. the one for me. I love it. That's a great job. It's a great job by you. Uh, Tis the season here. Uh, we're. When this comes out, we'll, it'll be Christmas Eve Eve. And so uh, hopefully you still have some cookies left. Oh, I, I want to count around that in, 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 the, uh, in the icon household. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from listener RCJ at Ryan Jurger on Twitter. Uh, at Ryan Jurger asks, Icon, what is more noticeable? The difference between 20 degrees and negative 7 degrees? Or the difference between 100 degrees and 73 degrees. A lot of a lot of meteorology questions on. on yeah, that. you know we're breaking it all down here on the short side option. And, and for me, the difference between 100 degrees and 73 degrees much more significant than 20 and minus seven. Yeah, I, I think that I agree with that. I think that's that's pretty obvious. Now the problem here is that um, 20 degrees is, is still really uncomfortable. Um, so I, yeah. you know, I, I, I think we're, you know, we, we, I think the difference between, you know, 50 degrees and uh, 23 degrees is pretty darn noticeable too. Sure. Um, sure. But nonetheless, I, I think that I agree with you there. Okay. Okay. And then finally, you're still, you're still, you're still more pro hot than cold though, to, to be clear. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, finally, our, our, our final question this week comes from listener Connor Ward, who I think is is a getting into the fray here, kind of a newcomer to uh, short side option. Ask the Icon family. Connor asks, "Could you finish a gallon of eggnog in ten minutes?" Ooh, a gallon of eggnog—that's some heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Yeah, dealer. What do you think there? Do you think you could finish one in, in, in a, a whole gallon of eggnog in ten minutes? You think you I think you could that? give me. I think you could give me a day or two, and I don't think I'd be able to get through a gallon of eggnog. Yeah, you know, great question. I don't think there's a chance that I could finish a whole gallon of eggnog in ten minutes. And honestly, I don't have any desire to really try. That sounds like a stomachache waiting to happen. Yeah, I, I like eggnog quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm a. I think the nutmeg in there is fantastic. Um, I, I think eggnog's an outstanding drink, but I have no interest in uh, trying to down a gallon in, in 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I think that I think we're on the same page there, Pard. Well, Icon, that wraps up the Ask the Icon segment of the show. Um, any final thoughts before uh, 
on, on Big 12 championship um, or, or anything else here as, as we as we wrap things up? You know, going back to Tyler H's question, what's your favorite holiday tradition? You know, for me, it almost is like, hey, you know, we're watching these college football bowl games. You know, it tis the season. You're able to go buy some K-State gear at or Big 12 championship gear at, at your local outlet. You know, you've got a big bowl game to look forward to here, you know, on New Year's Eve. You know, that almost is my favorite holiday tradition it is is just kind of soaked in this bowl game uh, season and knowing that you're going to be playing in one of the biggest games of the season uh, here. So, I mean, you look at all this time, it's a great time to be a, a K-State Wildcat fan because uh, basketball, uh, you know, doing great here as we get into uh, conference play here on, on New Year's Eve against West Virginia at home. And, uh, of course, with what the football team has accomplished, winning the Big 12, playing a tradition seat program like Alabama, the Sugar Bowl, can't get much better. Uh, yeah. So uh, it's a great time to be a Wildcat and uh, look forward to uh, to the Sugar Bowl here in New Orleans. Yeah, I think that's well said. I think that's and, well said. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to hopefully have a chance to get a uh, Alabama – Sugar Bowl preview here in, in the next week uh, before game time. And then a little bit later on, hopefully having a chance to break down uh, K-State's 2023 recruiting class. I know there's uh, the high school signees got uh, got put uh, pen to paper yesterday. And uh, our, our, you know, we're super excited about that. One of K-State's best recruiting classes in the last 20 years. But we know that there's still more work to be done in the transfer portal. And uh, we'll have a chance to break that all down uh, here a little bit later on. So, Dilu, well, uh, appreciate you hopping on with me here. It's been a great show. Anything else you want to add uh, before we wrap it up? Nope. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, to talking more about this K-State football team. It's a fun Absolutely. one to do. Absolutely. Well, folks, that'll do it here for us on this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As always, thanks for listening, and go Cats.